First Peter. We're going to jump right into First Peter chapter five. We're going to be in um, verses eight through fourteen, specifically regarding eight through ten. So I'll read all of it in just a minute here. Um, I want to go ahead and I want to read uh, all of this here in just a second. But as I was studying the message this week or studying the text, I came up with two questions myself that I was asking about the text. And those two questions are really going to serve us as an opportunity for sort of an outline for us as we go. I think the text answers both of these questions. Um, the first question is, is how do you want to finish your time here? How do you want to finish your time here? When, when your life is all over, all said and done, how do you want to be known? What do you want to be said about your faith? What do you want to be said about your life? What do, we, what do you want to be said about you? You know, we probably have, let's just go ahead and say that, let's say we live an average of 70 years and some live shorter than that, some live longer than that. But at the time that God gives you, what is it that you want to be said about you when your time is over? Peter is coming to the end of the book and he's coming to a challenge and a charge and, and I really believe that he answers that question in, in 8 through 14, specifically 8 through 10. And then the second question that I have for us is, is, is really this. Is our God able to pull this off? You see, because the entire book of 1 Peter, he's telling us this beautiful salvation that we have, that it's imperishable, that it's beautiful. It's a beautiful inheritance. We are a royal priesthood. He said that in chapter one. And he keeps telling those Christians at that time that are going to go through severe persecution and trials, hold on, I want you to hold on. God's gonna make everything right. God's gonna do this. And we can ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that God is gonna pull this thing off? Do we really believe that he can pull it off? And I, I think, again, the question is going to be answered here in 8, um, eight through 11 specifically. Um, so, so what I want to do right now is I want to go ahead and take these two questions. You've, you have the questions. They're in your Worship Center app. And so now we're going to go ahead and we're going to read the, the verses, um, starting with verse 8. It says uh, in verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory to Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, the faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And that's how 1 Peter ends. We know that there are two letters that Peter writes. Of course, this is the end of the, the first letter that we have here. So the question, 
Question number one is, is how do you want to finish your time here? What do you want to be said about your faith? Last week, we talked about the danger that pride is to our walk as a believer. We, we looked several places where he's humble yourselves and, and God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and we have been taking a look at what it means to humble ourselves. And of course, the opposite of that is to being prideful. Now he comes back and he says, hey, listen, I want you to be sober-minded. So, so here is some instruction that I think he says to us as we finish our time here, as we hold fast, as we endure persecution until Jesus comes back or he calls us home, whatever comes first. And the first thing he says in the text, he says, I want you to be sober-minded and I want you to be watchful. So let's just do a little quick study right now if you're good on your um, opposites. The opposite of sober, church, is... Okay, there we go. That's good. Okay, you're paying attention. So basically what's going on right now is I want you to live in such a way that what is controlling you is the Holy Spirit of God, not anything outside or anything the world offers you. To be drunk on food, to be drunk on wine or, or, or drink or drugs or anything like that that would allow you, your mind to be clouded to be cloudy. He says, I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to be clear. I want you to be aware. Then he uses the word watchful. I think both of these are basically a commandment of saying, hey, listen, I want you to wake up. I want you to see the enemy that is around you. As you finish and you finish strong, I want you to know that there is an enemy that prowls around and does not want you to finish strong for the glory of God. So as you finish strong, and what do you want your life to finish strong, the way that you're going to be able to do that is by not being lazy, by being watchful and being sober-minded. Because what happens when we're lazy, we give our things, ourselves over to other things that can control us. So he's, he wants us not to be lazy, or, or he wants us to manifest these disciplines in our lives that that provide faithfulness and steadfastness, and that when things come our way, we are steadfast and immovable because of him, not because of us, because of his spirit living in us and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So don't let anything control you from seeing what I want you to see, that the enemy is coming after you. He wants to trip you up. He wants to cause you to stumble. And more than anything, he wants you not to finish strong. So in order to finish strong, I think what he's telling us to do is, hey, I, I want you to be sober-minded. I want your mind to be clear. I want you to be watchful. I want you to be aware of what's going on. He also comes down and he says, be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Then he says, I want you to resist him. Now, Let's talk a little bit about the tactic of the devil here. I have to be very clear that I absolutely love, and it's probably spent maybe too much time watching Nat Geo Wild. I like, I like watching animals in the wild and seeing how they make a living. 
That brings this verse to a lot of great picture for me. So if you can picture the wildebeest, and you can picture a herd of wildebeest, and you can picture a new calf, the devil, is, excuse me, the lion is trying to get to that young calf that is weak, that is immature, that is not strong. And what the lion tries to do is to get the herd away from the calf so that it can get the calf. That's what the lion tries to do if you were to ever watch Nat Geo Wild. Now, now what, is this, what, is, what is the analogy here? Satan is, 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 the analogy is that Satan is like a lion here. And he's seeking who he may devour. I remember being at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I've said this a couple of times. Molly and Andrew were in a red wagon. We were at Barefoot Landing in Myrtle Beach. And you've probably been there before. And they have a cage or big exhibit of Bengal tigers. And the whole crowd of summertime um, in July. And it was like all these people around this this glass enclosure of these Bengal tigers. And as I'm walking through and up, um, all of a sudden the tiger jumps up. This Bengal tiger jumps up from perched down and sleeping, jumps up and comes up and starts clawing at the glass enclosure that he is in. And all of a sudden the people start backing up because it really looks like he's going to come through the glass. And next thing they know, everybody pointed to us and I had Molly and Andrew at like a year old and two years old in a red radio flyer wagon. And this Bengal tiger was following them as I was walking back and forth. I was like, ooh, that, br that brings 1 Peter 5, 8 to a whole new level. So what is he trying to do? What is Satan trying to do right there? He's trying to do a couple of things. Number one, he wants to devour. Number one, he wants to take away your, your joy. Number two, he, he wants to cause you to doubt all that you have and all that Christ would do in your life. He wants to take things away from you. That's what he wants to do. I also want you to see how limited he is in that verse. When we read the verse, it says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking. I want you to circle the word seeking. He is looking for someone. That is different than the God of the universe who is not looking, he sees. Satan is seeking for someone to devour. He is limited in his ability to know things. And we must treat him that way. And as we sit there and say, man, I want to finish strong, I want to be aware of Satan's tactics. I want to be aware of, of, of what he does. It, it, goes, it goes on, it says, seeking someone to devour. And then verse 9, it says, resist him. So he's saying, hey, here's how you're going to do this. You're going to be aware, you're going to be sober-minded, you're going to be watchful, because at the end of the day, you want to finish strong. You want to finish strong. By finishing strong, you need to know who your enemy is. You need to know how he's going to come against you, how he's going to question or doubt things in your life. You know, you can apply this simply in marriage. How does Satan, if you're married, I mean, in your marriage relationship, how does Satan try to use and get in the way of our marriages by by? by causing us to question and doubt. 
There's several ways that there's marriage, there's just life, there's work relationship, there's family relationships. Satan is prowling around trying to disrupt your faith and your belief that God will do what God said he would do. And for us, in order for us to finish, I think for us to finish strong, being sober-minded, being watchful, and resisting the devil, resisting him. And how are we to resist him? It, it really says in verse 9, resist him. And then it says, firm in your faith. So we know that Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One of the greatest ways that you can grow in your faith and I can grow in my faith is when we are with a group of people smaller than this and we are breaking down God's word together on a regular basis. There is no greater place to be than being able to sit there and say, I'm gonna be firm in my faith, but the, in order for me to do that, I need the community of faith that's around me to help my faith grow. That's exactly what, um, what, what Peter is trying to get us to see right now, to be, to be firm in our faith. He, constantly growing, knowing God in God's word, understanding that the community is helping us to be strong in him. Because there, there are a lot of lies that are coming. And, 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 and those lies can be refuted, can be, can be thwarted, can be answered by remembering what God said, who he is, and what he's going to do. So he's limited, he is seeking. We must treat him that way. We recognize that Satan will be put in his place and that God will do that. Revelation is very clear about that day when he will be put in his place. So we, we, we take a look and we've looked at eight through nine right now. And it answers the question, I believe, that how are we going to finish how are we going to finish? Um, how are we going to finish strong? How can we do that? What do we want to be said? Be sober-minded, be watchful, resist, and be firm in our faith. I think he answers that question of how we can be, how we can finish strong. I, I think another question that he answers for us too, I think he answers the question again: Is is our God able to pull this thing off? Is he able to do what he said he would do? I think. Verse 10, in my opinion, is probably the greatest summary of the book of First Peter. I think it's clear in this, in this text right now um, of what he is trying to get us to see and what he's trying to get us to remember. So, so if you remember, Peter is writing to Christians, and what he's trying to say is, hey, I want you to hold on to that day when God is going to make everything right. I want you to be aware of Satan's um, tactics to trip you up. I want you to be aware of your temptations that are really, that are out there. And, and I want you to be aware that without a doubt, God is going to make all things right. Whether you're resting in whatever trial you find yourself in, whatever trial you're going, going into, make sure that you never forget, regardless of your situations or circumstances, that the God that we serve is the same God who said in the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created. He is the creator and we are the creation and we are there to follow him and do what he says that we should do. And verse 10, I believe, is such a beautiful summary of answering that question. 
Is God able to pull this off? Let's take a look at verse 10 and break it down. And it said, after you have suffered a little while, I'm gonna stop right there. I just want you to know <laughs> that there is an ending to COVID. There is an ending to online school. There is an ending to your depression and your anxiety. There is an ending to relational conflict. And I'm gonna give a Pentecostal hallelujah there is an ending to diabetes, okay? There is an ending for that. Because he says it right there in that first verse. Is he able to pull it off? And after you have suffered a little while, it is temporary compared to eternity. So when you talk about spending your life with Jesus because you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in him, we're going to be with him forever. And when you take a look at the suffering that we experience and say that average time of 70 plus years, 70 plus or minus years, we look at that suffering and it truly is just a blip on the radar compared to the eternity that awaits us. And that's what we exist for, is to worship him in spirit and in truth and face to faith and all things are made right. And so right there, he tells us, church, he tells those Christians that are dispersed all over the place that are getting persecuted and Nero is coming in and he is going to blame Christians for the burning of Rome like we've said before through this study. He's like, I want you to know it's just a little while. It's just a little while. So be encouraged. You be encouraged right now with whatever you're going through. It is just a little while. It has an end. And then he says, well, who is going to, to take care of all of that? And don't forget, here's who does this. He said, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all what? The God of all? The God of all grace. It's getting something we don't deserve. It, that's who he is. That is who is going to make everything right. And Peter is wanting us to make sure that our focus is vertically on him and no one else. Because that puts our pride in check. That puts our own sin in check when we are recognizing that the God of all grace is the one who is going to do all of this. What is he going to do? The God, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory. So I really want, to, want you to put two words together. Little while and eternal glory. Okay, circle those two there. Little while. Your suffering is a little while. And then the glory that you experience as a believer is eternal. It's eternal glory. There's a huge difference there. And I pray that it would encourage you. The God of all glory in Christ, listen, circle that word, will, has caused you eternal glory in Christ, will himself, what will he do? He will restore. That means he will set right what was wrong. He will bring everything to wholeness. He will confirm his stamp of approval. He will strengthen perfect and unwavering strength. It will not go, yes, I'm really strong, and no, I'm not strong. He will confirm your strength. There will be no wavering because there will be no sin. So there is no wavering. There is no doubt. And establish you, meaning it is fixed on the foundation that is Christ. It will be fully implemented 
fully seen and fully experienced. That's who we serve. That is who will restore our faith, will strengthen our faith, will confirm our faith, and will establish it. That, that's, that's who he is. I, I love the ending of the verse. Um, the ending of the verse right there in verse, verse 11. Verse 11 is so, I, I just think it's really powerful. Earlier in the text, I believe it's verse uh, chapter 4, verse 7. I think that's what it is. I'm not going to look there right now. Um, but it says, uh, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But however, the way he closes it in this text was so, so neat to me. Because it said, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, I... Why did he not put glory and dominion in this section right here? He's closing everything down. He's answering the question, I believe. He's answering the question, is God able to pull everything off? And it goes back to how God is going to restore all things and he's going to deliver us of all things. Sin will be eradicated. Satan will be put in his place. And he says, to him be the dominion forever. And here's what's going on right now. Nero is in charge. There's a lot of just unrest. Christians are getting persecuted. And they're sitting here going, we're doing the right thing. We want to follow you. We believe in you. But God, everybody just doesn't like us right now. We're in the midst of a bunch of trials. And here it comes, he says, to him be the dominion. Dominion means kingdom. And what he's telling you right now is that my kingdom will be implemented. My kingdom will rule. You can take that to the bank. Trust me in this. I'm going to do what I told you I would do. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul is writing to the churches of Philippi. But I truly believe that it, this statement, this verse, could be applied to individuals and also the church. He writes this verse and says, um, he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Many times we take that verse and we say, we apply it to ourselves, which I think is true, but we should also apply it to our church because it's written to the churches at Philippi. And it says, to he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. So to you Northwest and to you individuals, be encouraged that the God who said he would do this He's able to pull it off. And he said that right there in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion kingdom forever and ever. And you said, amen. Peter is, is, is trying to get us to not forget these things. And, and in essence, that's why we have this cup right here that's represented. And I'd love for you to take out your communion cups. And, and there is a very thin piece of plastic to get to that wonderful wafer that represents the bread that we're going to go to. So I want you to go ahead and do the top, the top film. I want you to get to that first. Those of you who are at home, you, you follow along with us um, and, and go ahead and take that, that, that aluminum layer off of 
the juice. Go ahead and do that right now as well. You've, you've heard me, and we've done this, we've participated in this together a, a, a lot in terms of being together in, in taking communion. Well, what I want us to never forget is, is all that he did for us. I, I think it's, it's easy sometimes to get so distracted by the things that are around us that sometimes we just often, oh, we forget who he is. We forget what he said he would do. The circumstances overwhelm us. The circumstances just just really just weigh us down. And, and what I want us to do is I'm going to flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse 3. And I want you to remember that this bread or this wafer here was given as a reminder of his body that was given to us. And I want to read verses 3 through 5. And then I want to take of this bread. And then I'm going to read a couple of more verses and we're going to take the juice together. We, we understand that why we do this is so that we will never forget all that he said he would do and that our God is sufficient and able to pull off what he said he would do. So in verse three of chapter one of 1 Peter, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's grace, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as we eat this bread, may you remember all that King Jesus did for you and did for me. Let's eat. And of course, in the Old Testament times, we had to get, we had to sacrifice, we had to get forgiveness of sins by the sacrifice of animals. And Hebrews says, we don't have to do that anymore. And we're grateful for that. Jesus came with the lamb that was slain without spot or blemish. He came to take away the sins of the world, the past, present, and the future. This juice that we're taking is a reminder of that new covenant that you and I simply can be forgiven and that Jesus will keep his word, that he's able to do that. The tomb is empty. He has been resurrected. You have been saved. He did that. And we declare that, we declare that by remembering and taking this cup. And I want to read this verse before we drink together. And then we'll call the worship team back up and we'll sing for the glory of God. So let's go ahead and look at verse six if you want to, or I'll just read it. In this you rejoice, the salvation that we just talked about. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
when Paul instituted the, the Lord's Supper, when he wrote about it, excuse me, when he wrote about it in 1 Corinthians, he said, each time you drink, you do this in remembrance of me and you proclaim the Lord will come again. You may drink. I love you guys. I'm so grateful to be able to stand up here. It's great to see you in person. The last couple of weeks have been a little cold and rainy, so it's been a smaller group, but we're grateful that you are here. My, my hope and my prayer is that God would continually use this book of 1 Peter to strengthen your faith, that what we've been able to do over the last four months has been able to help you understand that to a greater degree. Go ahead and come on up, guys. Um, and uh, that you'll be able to understand your faith better because of God using Peter to explain some things to us that are helpful for us. So let us, let us finish strong by being sober-minded, by being watchful, by being firm in our faith, and by resisting the enemy. And let us be reassured that the God who said that he would do this, restore all things, he will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish. Why? Because he is God, and he will do what he said he would do. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we're able to remember you, and we're able to celebrate you. I am grateful for the opportunity that we have to know you, to experience you, to believe in you, to walk in you, and to fellowship with other believers all the folks and faces that we see here today, that we've seen today. God, I'm just asking your blessing upon Northwest Community Church. Lord, not for financial gain or for stuff. Lord, I'm simply asking a blessing of your presence in each of our lives. Let us be the church in this area that will help people know who you are. I'm praying, God, for many people over the next year to come to faith in Christ, to be a disciple not just be a convert, but truly be a disciple, to be truly transformed by you. I'm grateful for the groups that are happening right now so that we as a group can help other people to be firm in their faith, so that we can be sober-minded, we can be watchful, and we can know the, the, the tactics of the enemy. We know that for a season, you've allowed him to have reign here. We know that he will be put in his place. We know that your spirit is greater than he is. Let us be aware of that. Let us know that. And at the end of the day, we celebrate now when you will make all things right. I can't wait for that day to happen. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.